following sermon is by Andy Lake, the senior pastor of Liberty Bible Church. This program, Grow in Liberty, is the preaching ministry of Liberty Bible Church in Vienna, Ohio. Liberty Bible Church places a priority on the Word of God over all else and has a desire to share truth with believers and non-believers alike. Our prayer is that as people tune in, they would come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Join us as we grow together through the Word of God. Open your Bibles, if you would, now to the book of Jonah. Jonah, chapter number 1. And as we began our study here last week, we looked at Jonah's situation and how God was asking, or a better way of saying this would be how God commanded Jonah uh, to do something fairly large for him. Now, it's, it's difficult for us in today's day and time to understand what it was that God was telling Jonah to do. And when we see right there in verse number 1, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, what we see is that God is speaking directly to Jonah, letting him know uh, what it is that he wants him to do, and the commission is to get up and go. And how those two words, arise and go, are really brought together in a linguistic fashion that makes it a one-and-done command. It's not two separate commands. It's get up and go do this as one statement. Now, in understanding what is before us, it's important for us to try to get grasp a little bit of a picture um, of what God was sending him to do because we don't really understand the Assyrians the way that they would have, and it would have been probably equivalent, at best I could give, for God to ask a Hebrew man to go to um, Hitler's office during the Holocaust. And they were being asked to go for the express purpose of preaching and telling them about repentance. This is something that was going to be difficult for Jonah, not only in a personal sense as far as is he going to be safe in doing it, but also in a very prejudicial sense. I'm sure he did not like the Assyrians at this time. I'm sure from a historical point of view, he had some prejudices, he had some biases against them, and as we go through the book, you'll see this very clearly uh, is the case where he did not want Nineveh spared. He actually hoped they would be destroyed. But I guess when we get to this portion of it, we're going to find ourselves here in verse number 4. When we get to this portion of it, I guess the question that we could be asking is, why do so many who should be running for God end up running away from God? Stand with me, if you would, as we read the Word of God. Jonah chapter number 1, we'll start reading in verse number 4. But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea so that the ship was like to be broken. 
when the mariners were afraid and cried every man unto his God and cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it of them. But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship, and he lay and was fast asleep. So the shipmaster came to him and said unto him, What meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise, call upon thy God. If so be that God will think upon us that we perish not. And they said, Every one to his fellow, Come, and let us cast lots, that we may know for whose cause this evil is upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell upon Jonah. Then said he unto them, uh, Tell us, we pr-. then said they unto him, I'm sorry, Tell us, we pray thee, for whose cause this evil is upon us. What is thine occupation, and whence comest thou? What is thy country, and of what people art thou? And he said unto them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which made the sea and the dry land. Then were the men exceedingly afraid, and said unto him, we ha- Why hast thou done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then said, he unto, then said they unto him, What shall we do unto thee, that the sea may be calm unto us? For the sea wrought, and was tempestuous. And he said unto them, Take me up, and cast me forth into the sea, so shall the sea be calm unto you. For I know that for my sake this great tempest is upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to bring it to the land, but they could not, for the sea wrought and was tempestuous against them. Wherefore they cried unto the Lord and said, We beseech thee, O Lord, we beseech thee, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not upon us innocent blood, for thou, O Lord, hast done as it pleased thee. So they took up Jonah and cast him forth into the sea, and the sea ceased from her raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord and made vows. Father, bless, we pray, the reading of your word to our hearts. But Father, as you do that, we commit ourselves to applying it to our lives. And whatever you revealed to us this morning, Lord, may we be obedient. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Again, I kind of pose the question, why do so many who should be running for God run from God? If God is omniscient, omnipresent, all-powerful in any way, shape, or form, should we not speedily obey when he calls us to do something? Should we not quickly respond when the Lord uh, puts something before us? Important to note is that it is not likely that Jonah was attempting to escape. We looked at this some last week. He was not trying to escape God's reach or to escape God himself. Rather, he had hoped to escape the work that God had called him to do. If you look over in chapter 4, you'll notice Verse number two, Jonah says, uh, uh, and he prayed unto the Lord, and he said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled 
before unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repentest thee of the evil. Jonah admits his reasoning for running was not fear for self-preservation, but he did not want to see God show grace and mercy to the people of Nineveh. He puts it right out there. I'm going in and out here. Hello. He puts it right out there for us to uh, to see and for us to know exactly what his reasoning for the running was. He doesn't mince words with it. So it's important for us to note this. Sin is never, never personal. It's always got a consequence. There always bears a consequence. And many of those consequences affect other people in the process. And sometimes those effects may not necessarily be seen right away. But rest assured, those will be eventually seen. I want us to take note of just a few things here. First, sin being born out of selfishness. Sin is born out of selfishness. Jonah served God, knew of God's power, had understanding of God's grace, understanding of God's mercy, as well as God's wrath. He had an understanding of this. He knew these things. Selfishness blinds us completely to certain realities, and it clouds the mind in such a way that now Jonah seems to think that if he gets away from Dodge, he gets out of the town, that eventually God, maybe he'll, he'll still want to do something, or maybe he'll give up. Maybe he won't let Nineveh get to uh, uh, repent, or maybe he'll send somebody else instead of him. We need to understand that Jonah here thought that he was the only one that he was, he was bothering by this, the only one that was going to be out of the will of God, the only one that was running, but he brought into uh, play some men of the uh, that were sailors, these people, who knows how many other people were on the ship, maybe he wasn't the only passenger on the ship, but he put their lives in danger by his sin. And so understand, brothers and sisters, sin is never just a personal thing where it's all about what you do and the decision that you're making. Realize, without question, Sin affects other people as well. And if you're not sure about how it's affecting other people, just look around you at the, in, at the, uh, 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 the people that perhaps you have influence on. Look at how they're seeing your life, at how they're responding to your, your decisions. When they know that you are living outside the will of God, they know that what decisions you're making are contrary to God's word. When they know this, and, and, and look at the influence that you're having on them, and they see you get away, quote-unquote, Got free. Realize that the sins that we commit will bear themselves out on other people. And sadly, it's usually the people closest to us that bear the repercussions. Notice with Jonah here, he brings... Uh, not only difficulty and calamity upon himself, he brings it upon the people uh, that he's, he's uh, on board with. It says in verse number four, but the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea that uh, there was a mighty tempestuous uh, tempest in the sea so that the ship was like to be broken. You know, it's, uh, it's one of those parenting things. I don't know, maybe... Uh, Maybe you all never went through this when you were growing up. I know I went through it when I was growing up, 
where you were, had to be taught to treat other people's property better than your own. You know, my dad was one of those, make sure that when you borrow something from somebody, you return it in better condition than the way you got it. People aren't taught this stuff anymore, are they? It's, well, you're lucky you get it back. This, this is kind of the mentality that many of us have with it. And, and what, what we see here with Jonah, Jonah gets on a boat, and the poor captain of the ship's boat is about to be destroyed because of Jonah's sin. Jonah's running from God thinking he's the only one that's running from God. No, he has just brought this calamity on the people in the boat. Are you bringing calamity on someone in your boat? Are you bringing about something that is going to cause issue and cause repercussions, not just in today's day and time? There may not be some huge storm. The storm may not arise until your children are grown. And then you see the repercussions of your decision on your children. Are you bringing calamity on other people in the boat? Notice what we're seeing here with this. Has anyone ever stopped to ask what it cost the sailors to try to lighten the load? I mean, think about it. The Bible lets us know. It says, verse number five, it says, The mariners were afraid and cried every man unto his God and cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea. This is like Boston Tea Party, circa B.C. <laughs> this is, this is a, a costly event. Here they are, they're taking goods. Maybe they're taking spices. They're taking, uh, uh, they're taking um, uh fabrics and things of that nature. They're going to take them off for trade. They're going to take them off to sell. They've got people, they've got customers, and they're worried. They're afraid for their life, and they're having to unload the cargo into the water, all because Jonah was running. It didn't just affect Jonah, did it? What about the customers that were expecting those things or sending those things? Here's the poor guy is just a mailman. He's just delivering it from one shore to the next shore, and he's about to die. I'm here to tell you, you know, no matter how good a mailman Brother Jeff and Brother John were, that bag's dropping if they're worried about their life, right? <laughs> Get your own mail on your own day, brother. I'm out. Well, that was my paycheck I was waiting for. Sorry, my life's worth more. And this is what's going on with these sailors here. They're just trying to make it out. Our sin costs other people. Why don't you take a look? Let's just let's look for just a minute over to the book of Mark. Mark chapter 9. And I want us to see something here. Because if we don't get that, really honestly understand the brevity of that situation, we can be in some very serious danger. Look with me at Mark chapter number 9. Mark chapter 9. Look at verse 42. This is Jesus saying, And whosoever shall offend one of these little ones that believe in me, it is better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck, and he were cast into the sea. And if thy hand offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go into hell, into hell, into the fire that 
uh, never shall be quenched, where the worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. And if thy foot offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter a halt into life than having two feet to be cast into hell, uh, into the fire that uh, never shall be quenched. I want you to go back to verse number 42 and notice this word that is used here, whosoever shall offend one of these little ones that believe in me. Here he is talking about the importance of what it is to not be offensive to those who are younger. Well, so what are you saying? Are you saying like I shouldn't make fun of kids? Well, that's true, but that's not what this passage is teaching. So I shouldn't give insults? That's probably true too, but that's not what this passage is teaching. You see, the word offend that is in here is the word skandalisa. Now, this is an interesting word because it's where we get our English word, scandal. The word can be translated, literally translated, cause someone to stumble. It brings the idea of the offensive line, and they're uh, standing there uh, protecting and guarding uh, the quarterback and the offensive line. They're, they're ready. They're, they're faced, and you've got guys trying to blitz in, wanting to get in and try to get to the quarterback and try to knock him down. And the offensive line, their whole job is to make them not get there, stumble. We're going to trip them up. We're going to knock them down, whatever we can do. What has that got to do with what's going on here with Jonah and us? I want us to understand something. Parents, are you causing your children to think it's okay to live a certain way? Are you causing your children and your grandchildren, are you causing your nieces or your nephews, are you causing your co-workers, are you causing your neighbors to think it's okay to live a certain way because I claim the name of Christ and I live this way and I'm okay with it, I'm comfortable with it. Listen to me, my friends. If you have anyone in your life who is younger than you, spiritually speaking or physically speaking, it doesn't matter. If you've got someone who looks to you for any sort of spiritual understanding and you're living a way that is completely contrary to the word of God, you are causing them to stumble and Jesus says it would be better for you to have a millstone tied around your neck and thrown into the sea. I think it's important that we pay attention to the kind of sin and lifestyle we're putting out there is okay. You see, Jonah here, not only is he acting selfishly, but sin hardens the individual and dulls them. And so, if if we can get someone's attention early on in that sin that they're espousing, maybe, maybe we can get them to let go of it. That's the hope. Turn to God. See Him. Run his direction. Quit running away from him. But the longer we let that just sit and fester, the harder our heart gets. And no longer are we bothered when someone says, your sin could be affecting your child. Your daughter, your son could be being affected because of the life you have chosen to put your stamp of approval on. And it no longer bothers us. Why? Look at Jonah here. Going back to Jonah. 
says that the, in verse 5 that the guys were throwing things over the ship to lighten the load. Then it says this, but Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship and he lay and was fast asleep. Sin hardens us and dulls the senses. We just sleep through it. Yep, that's right, preacher. Yep, that's right. My sin is affecting somebody else. Yep, that's right. I still am not going to do anything about it. Yep, that's right, preacher. My child is probably going to reap the benefits of my sinful attitude, but I'm not going to do anything about it. I'm too busy enjoying my sleep. I'm too busy slumbering over here. Don't try to wake me up. I'm happy in my ignorance. This is what Jonah's got going on with him here. Notice this next thing here, Jonah being fast asleep. Can I ask you a question and be serious about it? Let's just, let's take this seriously for just a moment. When is the last time you shared Jesus with someone? Because not only does it make us dull of hearing in the idea that, uh, uh, you know, I don't have to necessarily do anything, it's still all about me, but let me ask it this way. The reason that many are indifferent toward evangelism and the things of God is because uh, our sin has hardened our heart to the point where we become so self-centered and asleep that we don't care anymore. doesn't bother me. I'm a self-centered sleeper. In Matthew 9, 37, Jesus was telling his disciples, says, the harvest is truly plenteous, but the laborers are few. You know why there are few laborers? Because the rest of us are asleep. And we're okay with that. We ought not be okay with that. It's nothing short of selfish sin to disobey God. Nothing short of that. Nothing short of selfish sin to keep the gospel to ourselves and not share it with someone. It's nothing short of selfish sin to allow ourselves to be, uh, to live a certain life and claim that it's okay. It's, it's selfishness. But let's look at a couple other things here too. Not just Jonah, but let's look at the astonished bystander for just a moment. Notice that the, uh, <clears throat> that the pagan shipmaster entreats Jonah to pray. Catch what's, catch what's going on here. It says in verse 6, So the shipmaster came to him and said, What meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise, call upon thy God, if so be that God will think upon us that we perish not. <laughs> the pagan shipmaster comes down and wakes up the man of God to pray. The man of God should have already been praying. The man of God should not have been running to begin with. Now, I understand he was in a pretty difficult position, but we have to start looking into this passage and into this book and seeing ourselves. I want you to note something that is at the end of this book, if you want to look at verse four, uh, chapter 4. And just look at the way chapter 4 comes to a conclusion. Do you realize that this book really has no ending? 
It's almost like he's in mid-sentence, and then it just stops. Notice what it says in verse 11. And should not I spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein I... Uh, are more than six th- uh, score thousand persons that cannot discern between the right hand and the left hand, and also much cattle. You know why it hasn't ended? Because Jonah's spirit has not ended. There's an awful lot of Jonah's today, right here, right now. You and I can be the worst Jonah, more so than the Jonah in this book. God has asked us to do something. And we say no. And we try to escape it. We try to get out of it. We try to shove that responsibility off to the side. You know, if you, if you look at some of this stuff, he's, he's not asking him to lazy prayer. He's asking him to entreat God. He says, cry out unto him, call unto him. He says, uh, what meanest thou, O sleeper? Call upon thy God. He's asking him to do something more than just, now lay me down to sleep. He says, get up. Get on your knees. More purposeful. Don't just roll over in bed and look at the wall from, the, from a different point of view and say a couple prayers. No, get up and beg God. This is not lazy prayer. This is earnest prayer. We're a lazy lot of people, aren't we? We are so lazy. I mean, my goodness, they're they're showing new gadgets every day. That I mean, before too long, you remember? I don't know if you remember or not. There was a movie several years back, Wally. You know, remember? And you had this. Everybody was four thousand pounds and rolling around in these little cars that just they just they just used a little joystick because you know they're four thousand pounds and they they didn't have to do anything. We're getting pretty close to that. We're getting pretty close to it. We're a lazy group of people. You know, I've had people ask me before, why do you give an invitation at the conclusion of the service? Now, understand this. I understand anxiety. I understand that. I understand some people have social anxiety, and I don't want to go down in front of people, and they're going to, they're going to you know, maybe they're going to worry, or they're going to thank these things, and it, and it bothers you. I get that. Sit down in your chair. Make your chair an altar. I don't, whatever you need to do. I also understand uh, some people have issues getting up and down. I get that. I get that. I skated for years. My knees are bad. My hips are bad. I understand. I understand. But those are the exceptions, not the rule. And if you want to know why we have an invitation, the invitation time is the time when we are encouraged to get up and put some faith and foot to our, to our uh, beliefs. Get up and go take care of business. We are encouraged to arise, get up, and go pray. Can you pray where you are? Absolutely. Can God change you where you now sit? Absolutely. But when we come to the altar of God, there takes a certain determination for me to step out and go down forward. It takes a certain determination for me to let people know that I am making a decision to obey God about something. It's easy for me to sit back and just be like, you know, I'm one of those people that, that, you know, that. I, I can pray right here. That's wonderful. And praise be to God that you can do that. But all I'm saying is that invitation time is a special time. It's not the time to go zipping up all the Bibles, not the time to go buttoning everything up. It's not the time to go checking to see if you can get four more packets of sugar in your cold coffee. That's not the time for that. 
It's the time to be doing business with the Lord. You see, it's stepping out on faith and giving to God what already belongs to him. In a crowd of over 80 people, surely not all 80 of us are perfectly fine. I've often wondered, why don't more people respond to God's word? Is there, is there no one with sin in their life, unconfessed, who needs to forsake it? I've told my guys many times, I said, one of these days I might just grab you because you know what it's like to get convicted while you're preaching? Cool. That's a, that's a difficult thing. One of you guys need to come up here and do this invitation. I got some praying I need to do. See, do we really not see how our sin affects our lives and how our sin affects other people? Do we not see how our sin can cause our children problems, our grandchildren problems? Here's the sad thing about the whole thing. God stands with open arms and we do not run to him. We stand still in our weakness when we could run to him for strength. Look at just a couple more things. and We'll get ready to make a, our conclusion here. Jonah is found out, and he now must confess. He needs to confess what, uh, who he is, where he's from. The lot was cast in verse number 7. He's been found out. They ask him in verse 8, says, Tell us, we pray thee, for whose cause this evil has come upon us. What is thine occupation? Whence comest thou? What is thy country? And what people art thou? And so he started to have to come clean. It's kind of like the kids, uh, the teacher was wanting all the kids to help uh, showcase something and maybe show and tell. And he says, why don't you bring something about your religion? And so the first little boy walks up and he says, he says, my name is Ezekiel and I'm Jewish and this is a menorah. Next little girl walks up and says, my name is Mary, I'm Catholic and this is my crucifix. And then they go on to explain that. Last little boy walked up, says, my name's Tommy, I'm Baptist, and this is a casserole. Some of you will get that next week. Here's Jonah, happened to say, my name is Jonah. And he says, and I fear Jehovah, the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, the one who created the seas and everything in it. I'm running from him. You know, what baffles the mind here is how those who claim to believe one thing live as though they believe something different. My name's Jonah. Hi, Jonah. And I worship Jehovah, the one who created the seas and everything in them, and you thought you could get away from it? Well, I'm, I'm disobeying. It says, in verse 10, it says, Then were the men exceeding afraid. It said, Why hast thou done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. I understand someone who does not believe the Bible being true. 
and they agree with things like abortion. I, I get that. It makes sense from their, from their philosophy, from their state of, uh, of understanding. You know, they, if the word of God is not true, what basis do you say that life has value? What is your, just your personal thoughts? If you don't believe that this book is true, what are you basing any belief system on? I get someone who actually believes that way. What I don't understand is someone who says that they believe that the word of God is true, living contrary to it. That doesn't make sense. Yes, I believe that God is everywhere. Really? Even in your office when you're on your computer? I believe God is everywhere. Really? Even when you're sitting down in front of your TV? I believe God sees all and knows all. Really? What about that thought that just went through your mind when you couldn't stand that person that just walked in front of you? What about that sin that we're holding on to? Unwilling to let go. We say, I believe, I believe God saved me, made me new. But I'm not going to let go of that. I'm not going to change that. That doesn't make sense. Realize something here. Those who claim the truth of God's word yet live contrary to it do far more damage than the pagan in leading others away from God. Far more damage. If some of you may know, may be familiar with Penn and Teller, the magic group. They do, they're magicians, they do sleight of hand. And, and I remember seeing a video where Penn Gillette, he's the bigger one. Uh, he was talking about Christians. He says, what I, what I don't get are these Christians that are afraid to proselyte. He said, they actually believe, they say they believe that God you know, can save. They say to believe that, but they let all these other people just go on and they're afraid to talk to them about Jesus. He said, it's not true. That's why I don't believe it. If it was really true, these people who claim to believe it would live it. You want to talk about something that hurts? See, our running is futile, and even the unbeliever sees this. So then we see the witnessing confessor. So often, because of pride, we choose to continue our neglect of God's command rather than forsake it. Yeah, note something here with me real quick. Look at what it says. Uh, they said unto him, verse number 11, What shall we do to, unto thee that the sea may be calm unto us? For the sea wrought, uh, wrought and was tempestuous. And he said unto them, Take me up and cast me forth into the sea. I haven't read anywhere where God told him to say that. Really, in all honesty, God said, Get up, go to Nineveh, and preach. His response should have been, I need to go preach. I need to go to Nineveh. Turn this thing around, get me to Nineveh. No, what does he say? Just throw me in the water because I still don't want to obey. Get me out of your boat. 
let me just drown out here in the middle of the sea. You guys are going to be fine because God's not going to keep trying to rock me out of the boat. He's, he, it, it's okay. You guys keep on going. Just throw me overboard. I'd rather die than face that sin. You see, if, if we're not careful with some of this, we, we will overlook ourselves in the pages of Scripture very easily. There are many of us today who are holding on to something, and we would rather die than to let go of that. I don't care what God's word has to say. I don't care what other people think. I don't care what God's word instructs. I don't care about any of that. What I care about is my comfort level, and I am not going to let go of this. If God wants me dead, he can just kill me before I obey. That's the attitude that many people carry with their sin. See, what we've got to remember is that God is God. And he doesn't need to ask anything. You know, the interesting thing, if you want to look at uh, 1 John, people will say, well, that's the God of the Old Testament. Well, my friends, the God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. He didn't change. Zero AD. He didn't change. He's always been the same yesterday, today, and forever. Well, God asks things of us today. He doesn't command us like the Old Testament. Oh, really? Let's just look at a few things from the book of 1 John. 1 John chapter 2. Look at verse 3. And hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. And he, and he that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar. And the truth is not in him. You can keep on going all the way down to verse number 8. Let's see what it says here in verse number 4. And he saith, saith uh, I know him, keep not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. He that uh, saith, he abideth in him, ought himself also to walk even as he walked. Brethren, I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment which ye had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which ye have heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is past, and the true light now shineth. He that is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light. There's none occasion of stumbling in him. You can continue to read down through there. Jump over to chapter 3. Look at verse 22 with me. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. In other words, if you are not keeping his commandments, who do we think we are to ask him of anything? Uh, Look at uh, chapter number 4. Drop down to verse 19. We love him. Because he first loved us. If any man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother uh, whom he hath uh, seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment uh, have we from him that he who loveth God love his brother also. Drop down to chapter 5, verse 2. And this we know that we love the children of God 
when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. But you really can't get any clearer than chapter 2 when it says if you say you love God but you don't keep his commandments, you're a liar. A liar. So how do we bring all this about? Well, you see, Jesus' call was to follow him. And his disciples realized this. This is John's writing. John wrote this. He understood that Jesus' call was to follow him. The question is, do we understand it? Jesus said unto him, No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. So, do we understand this? Many times I'm afraid, no, we don't. You see, we expect God to adjust to us. Well, God needs to understand. I know that the Word of God says that, but God needs to understand my situation. And so God needs to tailor His Word to my situation. No, my friend. It's wrong. He needs to understand my issue and my feelings. No, he is God. We are not. His word says it. We need to obey it. Anything that is not immediate obedience is blatant disobedience. No sugarcoating about it. It is arrogance. It is disrespect. It is hateful, it is idolatrous, it is rude, it is spiteful, it is prideful, it is unloving, sinful attitudes that make us our own God and attempts to dethrone Jesus. So how do we close this thing out and conclude this? See, these pagan sailors had more respect than the man of God did. They even tried to row back to shore so they wouldn't have to throw the man of God into the water. And then they begged him, don't hold innocent blood against us if we're doing something wrong here. These guys had more respect than the man of God did. At last, they gave up their toiling attempt at saving themselves. They did what was needed. They got the sinner out. Isn't that sad that the man of God was the one they had to get out so they could move forward? The man of God who should have been leading them to greener pastures, they had to get out. But still, he has the heart of running. No sign of repentance in this at all. And just like Jonah, many are so close, yet because of pride, they will not repent and unwilling to change. And at best, they may say, well, fine, I'll do it, but only in physical form, in my heart. Even though I've said I forgive, in my heart, I'll hate them till they die. We've got to be careful about this, folks. Jonah believed God was the cause of the storm but had no desire to turn from his personal feelings to God's way. 
Many today who profess Christ are the same way. They know they need to turn from something, but would rather take the open sea and death than to trust God and obey Him. And yes, it is a trust issue. So let me ask you this way in closing. Can you trust God? Can you? Has God called you to do something? Has God called you to doing something, to maybe uh, uh, going somewhere, talking with someone, giving something up, following through on something that you know is right? Can you trust God to take care of it all in the process? Can you trust God with those hang-ups you have about it? Let's make it even more personal. With that thing that God has called you to do, are you being obedient or are you running? Pastor, you don't know what God has called me to do. I don't have to. You know. I don't have to know. You do. And are you being obedient or are you running from God, holding on to that with with every fiber of your being? Can you trust God and quit running? Today is the day to stop running. Right now. Quit lying. I'm not lying. Any man says he loves God and doesn't keep his commandments is a liar. Quit lying. Well, how am I lying? God says, do this so that you can reveal my son in you and you're saying... No, but I love you. I'm not going to do that, but I love you. Quit lying. Repent. Follow Jesus. You know, I find beauty in these passages. I find it amazing to me that even though you have a rebellious, spiteful, arrogant, prideful man running from God who should be running for him, God is able to use them. God is using them in an amazing way. And there's been many times where I've thought to myself, how in the world can someone like that be used by God? (laughs) Here's a perfect example. I'm living proof that God can use the gunk you scrape off the bottom of your shoe. When we quit running, He can use you. He can use you in your run. Oh, my goodness. It's amazing to see if someone would simply stop running from God Let him use them. It's amazing what God can do. If God can do this much with a rebellious, sinful man like Jonah, what could he do with you if you'd let go and just trust him? Father, it's difficult sometimes to admit 
our situation. It's difficult to be honest. So, Father, what I want to do, Lord, is just to simply say on behalf of us all, we do love you. We may not show it very well, but we do. And we have a hunger and a desire to be more like you. So, Lord, I'm asking on behalf of everyone here this morning that you would speak to us and show us that one thing that we can address now. What is it that you would have us to do differently? What is it that you would have us to give up? What is it that you would have us to stop being disobedient about? Because we don't want to be liars. We truly do want to show you that we love you by obeying your commandments. So help us during this invitation time, we pray, to give it over completely to you. No more holding back. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. You have been listening to Andy Lake, Bible teacher with Grow in Liberty and pastor of Liberty Bible Church. We pray that you were challenged today and encourage you to share this message with your friends and family. If you were motivated in some way to grow in your walk with Christ, please drop us a line and reference the title of today's message. You can access us online at growinliberty.org. Email us at together at growinliberty.org or send us a letter to Liberty Bible Church, 2111 Sodom Hutchings Road, Vienna, Ohio. 44473. If you would like to support Grow in Liberty financially, you may also do that at growinliberty.org. Thank you so much for joining us today.